Hello and welcome to the Space Trader podcast. My name is Matt. I am the creator of spacetrader.com, which is a classifieds style website designed to help connect like-minded business owners and help them create a referral network. It's 100% free and easy to use. Just create an account and get started by browsing listings or you can create your own. I'm also the host of this podcast and each week what we'd like to do is feature a business owner and give them a chance to tell their story, a little bit about who they are and how they got into their line of work. This is episode three and uh, if you missed episode two, I would recommend you go back and listen. We had on Bill Teeter from Great Day Productions, uh, DJ and Masters of Ceremony Company in Cincinnati, Ohio. So again, big thanks uh, to Big Bill for taking the time to chat with me. So that brings us to this episode's guest. His name is Charlie Yap. He is the owner of Yap Studios and Scalded Dog Auto Parts and the editor of the Secrets of Speed Society based right here where we're sitting in beautiful Batavia, Ohio. Charlie, welcome. Hey, Matt. Thanks for asking me on. <laughs> uh, so this is episode three, and uh, episode one I did with Chris. You know Chris Denny, the barber. Sure, sure. And he was in my house, but then uh, this one and the previous one I did uh, at the uh, the guest location. So even though I'm welcoming you, you're actually welcoming me into your home. So I want yeah. to say thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so you want to know where this all started? I do. Um, so you sent me uh, some information. And, uh, and we took a look outside and uh, some of what you've got going on. Um, but I think the first thing I want to get into just a little bit is how in the world did you get into what you do? And I've got some notes here. So the short list, I'll make it easy on you. Okay. You sent me just some highlights. The first one might be a low light. You said short list, college, failed. Then you were in the Navy, did a bunch of odd jobs. Uh, married to the lovely Donna, by the way, who I got a chance to talk to a few minutes ago. Uh, went back to college, valedictorian. Then you were a professional photographer. Started business in 1982, photo studio in 1990, and did a bunch of stuff. Got into for, uh, got into uh, different things, and then eventually dropped photography in 2004. And then all of a sudden, at some point, you ended up here, and you are currently doing a lot of different things. So can you tell us a little bit about some of what you're doing now and how you got here? Well, it's the getting got here part that might take up a little, I'll try to shorten it. Um, I, went, I was in the Navy for four years and during the first two years, I, I felt like it was prison. And the second two years, I learned how to get along with it. I learned a lot now those last two years of the Navy and how to work with people. And that was never one of my golden features. Yeah. And even today, I really prefer to work alone, even when it requires a couple extra people, I usually can pull it off. Um, but I was in my bunk and I said, you know, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? I ever liked antique cars and I liked photography. Mm. And I'd worked with photography longer than I worked with antique cars. So I made the decision and I, when we got into base, I called long distance to uh, Santa Barbara, California to Brooks Institute. I said, I'd like to go back to school when I get out of the service. I, she says, we are booked solid for three years ahead. I said, you're kidding. Hmm. She says, I recommend you go back and get your liberal arts at a college around home. We'll get you on board. And when you're done with your college there, you'll transfer out here and you'll finish. It takes three years there. And so I graduated uh, valedictorian of my class and um, 
with a degree in uh, illustrative advertising, photography. Now, I could go into that for a long time because uh, that was 33 years of my life, starting from using the college all the way to when I stopped. And, uh, but I worked, I did no weddings, no portraits. It was strictly 100% advertising for advertising agencies. I, when I left Brooks, I went to a photo studio in St. Louis as the second photographer. And then I transferred, I, I left there and went to another studio as first photographer. Then I was found a job in Chicago. It didn't work out too well. And one thing led to another, and I started with another design firm and was making more money than we'd ever expected at that point. And that lasted for about five years. And during that period of time, I spent all my free time trying to design and set up and cash out, starting my own studio, collecting equipment, stuff like that. And eventually, I was able to get a loan. And that, of course, you've got it, it's money. Yeah. Back then, that would be approximately 1982, uh, $20,000 $20, would buy a lot of camera equipment back then. Today, you might be able to get one umbrella. <laughs> right. But so, and it was all analog. There was no digital in those days at all. So our world in advertising was 100% special effects. You take a guy who's going to pour a beer, you're going to need a shot with a golden beer coming out of the bottle into frothy glass. You don't know how many cases of beer you have to go through to get that perfect shot. <laughs> and you're shooting it on 8x10 film, which was $25 to $35 per. And the art director's standing there saying, I want to see them. So you send them off to the lab with a hot, hot rush delivery, and you get your film back and forth in an hour. When I first started, we didn't have polaroids and what we had is the assistant we would put a sheet of black and white film in an eight by ten camera or four by five view cameras and he would hot process it in the dark dark room pushing it forcing it to and then turn the lights on make a contact print in water dump the water out bring it into the studio and show the art director what we're, what we're working on that took about four minutes then along came Polaroid with eight by 10 Polaroid. Now that's 12 to $20 a shot with a special processor that you have to put the thing through. Works just like the little Polaroid, but yeah. it's big. They even had a 16 by 20 and a 20 by 24 for artists. Anyway, and then we could show anybody. It was just like today with your digital. There it is on the screen. Today, it's a whole different thing. It's easier to do, probably less expensive compared to what we had to do. Yeah. So that's what we did. My, uh, uh, primarily we worked with dogs, cats, cat food, dog food companies like Quaker Oats, Budweiser, Schlitz, Coleman camping equipment, just all kinds of stuff. And there's a story with every one of them. Some of them are great, some are bad. <laughs> some are really funny. You wanna hear a funny one? I do, yeah. Uh, we were shooting, everybody has seen the dog food bags. Mm -hmm. You go buy even cat food, big bag, and you get the 50 pounder, you know? Yep. And it's got a gigantic photo on the cover of, you know, here's what it looks like. Right. And down in the corner, it says enlarged to show texture, you know? <laughs> right. Yep. So the art director comes and we get these cookie sheets. Yeah, about three or four of them. 
<clears throat> and there's 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 a certain percentage of little yellow kibbles and little red kibbles and little brown kibbles, you know, like 40% of those. And, you know, so we, we pour the kibbles into the tray and then we flatten it out so the camera would get this texture shot. But he had to go and count all the yellows and the reds to get the 30, 40, whatever split, you know, yeah, to get the ratio. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> so we're plucking this out and putting this out, you know, we're using tweezers because we don't want to mess up all the, you know, some of them are turns of the textures, a little more show. You know, it probably took two, maybe three hours to get that tray like we wanted it. Yeah. And down in the corner, we put a little tiny piece of paper and with the number one on it. So when we shot the shot, every one of them would have that code, and we know that was the primo shot. Right, right. So then we took the other trays, and we didn't count them. We just smeared them out, <laughs> and then we did another one, and we smeared it out. So there were three different shots. They were, If you looked at them, you'd say, oh, it's all the same. Yeah. But the number one was smack on for content. Right. And the other two were just loosey-goosey. Nobody else would know. Nobody, you, nobody know. Nobody knew. Yeah. But we knew. So the art director and I did. So we processed the film, and, and we had special uh, mount boards that we put the transparencies, and these are all transparencies. And um, you pack them all up, you send by messenger, and, and they, they look at them over at the, at, at the dog food place, and they pick one, you know. And it turns out they pick number one, which is helpful, but probably because the art director said that's the one that's got the better count. Right. Okay. So they go into production. They produce this entire line of dog food with these giant bags. And all of a sudden I get a phone call This has been out there for about three or four months. Little, I, it's the head guy in the art department at Quakers. Charlie, you shot that shot for the, the dog bag. I said, we're talking about that. I don't, you know, yeah, that's, that's the one we did. He says, well, we've got a problem. I said, what is it? A little old lady from Keokuk, Iowa called. <laughs> she wrote a letter, I guess. And she complained that she will never buy that dog food anymore because it's pornographic. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> so he says, I want you over here in 15 minutes in the in the office room. I get there. I'm, I'm running because we're in downtown Chicago. Our studio is in, in Chicago alongside the you know, freeways there. And I got over there huffing, puffing, huffing, but got up there. Everybody's there. I mean, every art director on the floor, maybe, maybe this room is made for like 10 people and there's gotta be 30 or 35 people in there. And there's a light box on the wall like you have it at the doctor's office. It's only <laughs> it's really long, you know? Right. And all these transparencies are laying on it. And the one in the middle is the one they use. They got on top of the shelf, they got the dog food bag sitting there. And everybody's going, what, what's this all about? And, right. You know, and they all look to me like, what's it about? Yeah, what did you do? I didn't, I, what? <laughs> what's up? I mean, you know, it looks just like what we shot. Was that number one? He said, yeah, it's number one. And all of a sudden we hear some giggling. And we turn around and it's the little secretary gal who just is an intern or something. She's, like, she's giggling. <laughs> and, and the chief says, what are you, what are you laughing at? What, what do you see it? What do you see? She says, I see it. And it's like one of those pictures that, you know, find the polar bear and the, you know, yeah. there was a whole set of uh, men's gentilia. 
in the outline of this whole thing. I mean, it was once you saw it, you can never get it out of your head. And it's completely random in how you set totally, it up. And it just totally one thousand percent an accident. If you had tried, you probably couldn't have made it happen. Well, we got paid anyway. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so uh, so then Disney hired you next. Is that yeah, right? right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> known for some Our of that. Our quality level dropped a notch for a while. Yeah. We got a reputation back up. <laughs> So it wasn't long after that you uh, you exited the photography business, I suppose, or at least started uh, no, no, shooting that, that was, type of work that, for you. It was early on. We, uh, <laughs> you want to know a little bit of how I got where I am, and a lot of it takes creativity and it takes some guts and some chance. You have to you have to chance in this business, in 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 the entertainment business, there is a lot of rejection. Mm-hmm. You, you could you could be a disc jockey and somebody say you know that sucks you know and you have to eat that try to make it better or just say that's a, a jerk, you know. Well, when you're a photographer and you're doing creative work from the get-go, you know, you get this plant to be in this side of the picture. It's not like an artist from the art museum. You are creating a duplicate of somebody's layout. Right. And sometimes that duplicate layout is actually transferred to a, a, a plastic that goes on the back of the ground glass of the camera so when you move the plate, you get it over here. You change the camera angle so that the oval of the plate is what the, they drew. Yeah. It could take hours to line this stuff up. Wow. We have assistants. We have stylists that find plates. The, the customer wants plates. He says blue. The stylist goes and brings in 30, 40 plates, sets them up on a table so they can choose the plate they want to use. Right. Because they don't have time to go and do all that. Right. But they're willing to pay for it. Right. We have home X. Homex are there. Whether it's dog food or eggs or turkey, there's somebody has to be there to prepare the food and make it photographic. Uh, Borden's was one that did not want anybody playing games with it. Uh, they wanted it pure. And it was, it was good. It's good ethics on their part. Uh, there's a thing called the marbles in the soup. And uh, what that was was there was a photographer working for Campbell's Soup and doing exactly what they asked him to do. And it was the alphabets. When you pour the soup in the bowl, you don't see nothing. Mm -hmm. So he puts marbles in the bottom of the soup bowl so that the lettering starts to poke out the top of the food. And everyone's going, oh, that's exactly what we wanted. That's exactly what. So they shoot the shot. Somebody goes and pours a can into their thing, and there's there's nothing there. So they sue Campbell's Soup, and they won something like $50,000 or something. So Campbell's Soup is just, you know, we call that honesty in food preparation. Yeah. The marbles in the soup kind of thing. So that was that, that was a real thing, and that happened. So how is that different than, uh, let's say, like a McDonald's when, you know, you see the the background of videos where they're, they've got a, like a heat gun you know, and they're melting the cheese just the right way so the cheese lays over the hamburger the right that, way? That, that's okay. Yeah. As long as the actual food. Mm. If it, you if you had some other brand of cheese that melted better, yeah, that would be done if the cheese was not the actual product. So when you work with McDonald's, you have to work with their beef. Right. Now you you have to it has to be the same size. It has all this, you know, all kinds of rules. And you have to be exact. And if you just fudge those rules once, you'll never work for them again. 
Wow. But you have to be creative enough to make the cheese drip and to get that little whiff of steam coming off of there before we had digital. Yeah. Now, I can get the digital later, but this is where I am now. When, when you say you can get the digital later, you mean you can add the digital or you can add the steam if it's digital? or yeah, sure. You can add anything. Sure. I, and I can give you an illustration on that, but I want to go back one more step. <clears throat> Being a photographer in Chicago, there were 350 photographers in Chicago. Only 50 of us said we made 100% of our living producing photos for advertising purposes. The others were doing some of it, but they were doing weddings and portraits. They were doing different kinds of things. I ran into a tremendous amount of people who had little incubator businesses. They were, they just decided, they made a widget and it, it worked, but they didn't have cool packaging. Hmm. They didn't have cool labels yet, but they got, they got this, let's just call it a, a rug cleaner product or something. And it really worked nice. It did what they want. So they got to go to the trade show. And they're going to take cases of their chemical bottles and all this stuff. And they're going to have, you know, some pretty girls handing everything out. They're spending money like they can't believe, but they don't have a picture of their product. They need a sell sheet. So what's what happens? The secretary or maybe the president goes out to the car on his, you know, Falcon <laughs> Mustang two or whatever it was at the time and laid a sheet on there yep. and put that bottle on there and took a picture and propped away the, the windshield wipers and stuff and then made that a blow up and handed out the thing. Well, people say, okay, fine, we got the cell sheet, but it's nothing They're like, ah, it's not glorious. It's not cool, but it got the job done. So I said, that's a market. Those people need help. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't exactly, they're moving into the industry. They don't know quite where to go. We didn't have the internet. All we had was mail and con personal contact and salespeople for me just didn't work out well they were always more babysitting in that than it was getting the job done and training and i'm already trained you know so and i have enough downtime i could go make a sales call and that's where you get rejected so you, you feel bad you know and you quite probably started drinking i don't know <laughs> nah, you know but um so I, I was vice president of the Photographers Association in Chicago. And we all got together uh, once. Um, there's a bug on the table about ready to eat you. Ooh, just knock it. Just, just going to throw him off there? Yeah, just one more. You'll have, you you have to edit this for me. Yep. Yeah, a stink bug. He gets credit for part of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> part two, the part stink bug. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me how you got into uh, insects. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we went to this meeting, and I was vice president. We do all our meeting, and all the photographers are sitting around. And all were we. It's a love hate thing. These guys compete against us on the same jobs. We're we're making bids and quotes for the same job. And I got the thinking in my brain. I go over and see client A, and he wants this, and I I price it out at you know two grand. And I happen to know that the other guy priced it out at 3500 And it's just like all the prices are all over the place. It's like when you want your deck done, you get one guy does it for two, another guy does it for 15 right. And what, what's the difference, you know? And, and, but nobody had, a, nobody had a price sheet. None of the photographers had, you, you go to a portrait studio and you kind of get a price sheet. Sure. Where weddings are kind of set up, you know, but not the professional end of stuff. So I said to the guys, 
why don't we have a price sheets? And they're all gone. They threw their hands up in the air and like turned red faced. You can't do that, Charlie. No, you can't do that. <laughs> You're going to upend the whole I industry. Think, I'm thinking, <laughs> I just hit on something here. I hit on something. I developed a company called Great Shots. It was our set. We had Yap Studios. So this was Great Shots was under the same thing. We built a new studio in the basement of the building just for this. And we, I created photo sets. For instance, uh, a sweep is where the, uh, it's a paper sweep. It starts at the camera and it goes up to the sky in a curve. So when you shoot against it, you can make shadows or you can make it all white. Uh, it makes the product look nice. Right. Well, we created a sweep out of a piece of white formica and we drilled a hole in the back and we stuck a pipe through the back and we put a little paddle on it, set the bottle on there, line the camera up. You can't see that shaft mm. and the bottle looks like it's floating. We could glue the bottle to the paddle and tilt the bottle and make it look like it was kind of taken off. We could do all kinds of little things almost free from my perspective because we had the stuff. But we could say, you want the bottle to float? That's $100. You want it to sit on the counter with some sparks coming out the bottom? That's $200. If you want it pouring, that's $150. Da, 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 da. And we made a catalog brilliant color 12 pages photo all kinds of different things that you could get in all the prices i got phone calls from <laughs> jay Wilder thompson that one of the buyers over there calls us who's backing you on this charlie <laughs> i can't tell you but it's big money you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that that really went well and then we got copied uh there was we had uh great shots and this guy opened the quick shots one of the guys on that meeting yep you know yep. about two years later so now i had to hassle again you know yeah so back to cars now there's a lot more there there's 33 years of stuff i i was telling my wife before uh, i came out here i said i think i think if i sit down with charlie i bet you i could do three whole episodes and probably only scratch the surface well let's scratch it just a little bit more all right let's okay go. so <laughs> so my hobby has been Model A Fords ever since I was a kid. Um, I drove my fifth, fifth Model A from Des Moines, Iowa to the Rocky Mountain National Park. And that was an adventure in itself. Uh, the car fell apart. It was just all <laughs> kinds of things. And, and it's one of those, um, it's one of those uh, God moment things where all these things worked out. And when I was young, I didn't really know that. I told our pastor about it, and he says, you know, you need you and I need to talk about that a little more. So that's another story. Anyway, so the hobby was Model A's, and, and the photography, I was getting older. And in the art world, it's really the younger ones, it's, and there's a lot of them. The advertising agencies hire the college students for less money. You know when they just get out of college the their art and business majors and different things like that and they 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 move them around and shove them out and so they like to work with people about their age so you had a 20 something working with a 30 something works but a 20 something working for a 40 something starts to be a little tilted because you're not too sure that what's cool in music anymore you know what I mean? right <laughs> oh anyway so the photographer a guy offered me uh a Riley two port overhead valve conversion for a Model A. I showed you over in the barn that red one. Mm -hmm. And it was really tricky. But when you take it apart, 
you look at it and it says, you say to yourself, I'm not a machinist. I don't know anything about metallurgy or anything like this. But if you took all those parts off, it's just a machine flat shot across the top and a flat shot across the bottom. And it's, it's like 80% machined. That seems like a cost-effective thing to do, you know, cut down your cost. So I, we lived in, outside of Chicago uh, in Hoffman Estates, Schaumburg area, way up northwest. And I drove in town every day, 30-some miles both ways. And uh, on the weekends, I went to the library, huge, huge library there. And I had stacks three feet high, two or three stacks of land next to the bed on metallurgy and foundries and all that kind of stuff. I didn't even know what a drill press, I mean, I didn't know what kind of iron to use. I didn't know nothing. Right. I mean, back to the fact that your degree has nothing to do with mechanical design, engineering, nothing like that. You're a photography guy. I'm right? a photography guy and I know colors and I know symmetry and I know balance and how to compose a photograph. And you, all of you guys don't know how to do that. So come and talk to me. I'll show you. <laughs> now you're sitting next to a stack of books that's about as tall as you. Which so you're I'm, about reading, three, I'm reading right? everything I can. Right. So I, 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 I know uh, a fellow. He's from um, Poland and uh, he, he was really helpful and he he says go see dick and i said all right so i go see dick and he says well, i'm retired i don't know he said you gotta help me i, I don't know what to do you know but i want to do this you know and so he gave me some hints and some tips and i took the hints and tips and i packaged all my materials up and i sent them down to el paso texas to have this guy make patterns Twenty-five thousand dollars later Ooh. I had nothing. And it was six months later, and I said to him, I want everything back here immediately. Now, I'd been down to see his operation. I tried to manage it as best I could, but this guy was either milking my money or something. So he sent everything back to us by FedEx, next day, guaranteed 7 a.m. in the morning. That was an $8,000 delivery. Wow. There was so much stuff. Yeah. He didn't put one piece of packing material around the boxes. Oh, my gosh. And all the boxes, all these casting boxes were all crushed, bent, broken. And I took them over to Dick. And he says, I'm retired. I said, you can help me. <laughs> so he and his son said, okay, we'll do this one last big job for you. Okay. So they made, they fixed the pattern on the head. They made two different kinds of manifolds. We made side plates. We made all kinds of valve covers and all these. There's 13 different castings for that head. And they made all these parts. And it's done. It's beautiful. But we couldn't get them cast. We went, I'd take them to a foundry and they'd fail. They'd blow out over here and blow out over here. I'd take them to another foundry and some of them really wanted to help and some people said no nah, it's too hard we don't, you know they don't cast like they did in the 30s this is new stuff you know and it's even newer now it's yeah. different now finally i had a sales guy come to the photo studio right in the middle of a photo shoot and i said i really can't talk he says well i think you need help and if i could just get five minutes out of, out of you we can get this done so what is it he says i got a foundry in detroit that can handle this hmm. he says i can almost guarantee it 
This is the stuff is all over there. You pull your car around back. We'll open the gate. You load it. Come back and I get and you know, and two weeks later we had all the castings. Wow. The head casting. Yeah. We were in business. The original was made in 1929, 1930, and he quit making them in 1932. And we think he made about 400, 450 of them. I did 750 of them between 1998 and a, a few, you know, five, four years ago. We quit, and I sold that also to somebody. I got all my money back for my for my kid. Not, I didn't get the. I got my money. <laughs> so, that's how I got into the business. And then one thing led to another. We kept designing. I would design a part that was looked like was needed. I had experience with all of that, but I so my my work was like I said on a napkin. And I took it to the pattern maker or the computer guy, and they would convert it to the real thing, and one step into another, and it would all get made. Yeah, and uh, that's how it how it worked pretty much. There's um. Well, I can stop with that if you want to. Now, I was just going to say one of the things I, I hear, uh, you don't say it directly, but I, I hear you say it a lot, which I think is pretty cool, is uh, you're a person that sounds like uh, you may not always have the the uh, the trajectory in your head exactly where you're going. But one of the things I like about what you're talking about is, is that you're always listening. You're always finding something that someone needs. And then you're figuring out whether or not it's something that you can jump in and provide, right? And then you have to sell it. And then you have to sell it, right? And that's probably the hardest part, right? I mean, because your your business, as far as doing the uh, the pricing sheet and you know creating this uh, great shots, you know, in the basement, right? It's not something you had in mind. It's something that you developed because you were listening, right? And you found a way to market and sell it. Same thing with your you know your car parts now, and it's. There's another. There's another important quality that I think I have, and I, I don't see it in a lot of people, and I, I think it's helpful for me, and not, not be for somebody else. Some people like uh, get into a project quick and dirty, get it done, boom, make a buck and move. I, I have tenacity that embarrasses myself. <laughs> Once I get an idea, and I start it, and it comes apart, I say, okay, wait a minute, it's still a good idea. Let's put it back together another way and keep moving on it until it works. And that's how I always done everything. Even the, the green speedster in there, that took 10 years. I've run into how many people said they, they would do it in a year or they wouldn't get it done at all. So it takes time. So how do you take that feedback when you're when you're working on something, especially in the beginning, right? Because like you said at the beginning a minute ago, you're you're sitting there with a stack of books. It's not something that you're, you know, let's say uh, classically trained in from an education standpoint. You didn't go to college for it. You discovered that this was an interest of yours and you want to get into it. And then you spend all this money on it and it's not working the way you want. I mean, was that tenacity then? Was it there even then? Or was it just a, I don't want to fail at this. Like I would, I, I know that there's something here. And I've already spent some time and some money doing it, and I want to see it succeed, so I'm going to continue on. This sounds wrong, but I have, once I've decided a project is worth going after, I don't stop. Yeah. I, I don't stop. You have, have you always been that way? Always been that way. <laughs> is that, uh, have you found that that's something that has always been um, 
good for you or is that have have has that ever created maybe a problem for you where you say man i wish i would have stopped it might be a problem for others that's an affected me too uh i gotta tell you i have to give an awful lot of credit to my wife she's on my notes to talk about donna is uh she's 100 percent behind all of this and she's 100 percent. she's the financial gal she knows where the money is, and I truly do not know where it all is. <laughs> and she makes it work. And there have been times when we literally maybe are down to 100 bucks in the bank, and she says, get off your butt and start selling. Hit the phones. <laughs> and I go, I dial for dollars, you know. How you doing? You know, you got anything sticking in the corner? I'll take you you got. <laughs> and so one by one, we start to build it back. You know, so yeah. We hit two really nasty recessions. And the advertising agency is one of these things. When companies are doing well, they advertise, which is kind of crazy. Because when they're not doing well, that's when they need to advertise. Right. But it's a cyclical thing. And the industry follows it just like the, just like COVID did. COVID decimated everything. So we're a photography studio. We're hiring home ex. We're hiring arts stylists who went looking for things and helping build the sets and stuff. Photo assistants, laboratories, uh, even Kodak. And uh, then all of a sudden this recession hit and we couldn't get, a, we couldn't give away a photo shoot. And so the assistants kind of disappear. Mm. The stylists kind of hibernate, you know, and then it starts to pick up again. We start getting the jobs. And you know, for a while, you know, you take it personally. Oh, I'm, I'm an awful guy. Or I'm a bad photographer. You know, it's not true. It's just right. not true. It's it's the world. You're getting weenied by the world, you know. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. So you just, you have to persevere and stick with it. Right. Back to Donna for a second, uh, because I have her listed in here. So we're talking about you, babe. Talking about you, Donna. <laughs> Um, you guys were married. Uh, you didn't tell me exactly in the email, so I had to get pretty close. I did the math, and it looked like it was around 50 years. Is that right? 50 years. 51 coming up. 51 years coming up. So I'm going to give you applause. We'll try to add in some extra applause. The last two years have been great. <laughs> That's a joke. It's just, did she get the medal in the mail she yet? Gets, no. <laughs> but I'll send her one. Yeah. Yeah, well, you you took some of the things that I was going to ask you about with her, but um, you know, I I was interested in uh, hearing a little bit about her because I didn't realize that she was uh, such a part of the Secrets of Speed Society that uh, that you run until I opened the magazine up and I start seeing her name in different places. I thought that was pretty cool. And you alluded to a second ago, you said she handles money in the magazine. It says she's the treasurer, but also says that she handles subscriptions and. Uh, she's the general manager of it as well. She handles everything financially where money is involved. So where people are paying their dues or buying a subscription, she pays the bills to the foundries and she says, you've got to cut back a little bit, you know. That's so, awesome. You know, and it, I have, um, I, I, I guess I don't know any other way to say it. I just have a, an intuition of how things are working. I look at the checkbook, I, I look at the cost I'm doing, and it 
and it just settles in my brain and I have it's it's like uh, water going back and forth between two vessels it just keeps a balance I have to add that when I you you noted it earlier that I failed in in college I only because you wrote it that way I failed in high <laughs> I had a horrible youth when it came to education mm. and that was back in the 60s I graduated from high school in 65 dyslexia was not really known too well back then mm. and i had a lot of trouble with mathematics and i went to a tutor my mom sent me to a tutor i think maybe sixth grade or something like that and i just couldn't get couldn't get a handle on it. brain could not concept when i wrote something my spelling would be atrocious oh i knew how to spell but when i wrote it it would be cobbled up instead of saying, let's say, uh, let's take the word slow. I might get S-O-L-W. Right. And I was talking to our neighbor, Joe. He had the same kind of situation. But nobody diagnosed this stuff back in those days. Nobody had a handle. It. So when I got into college the first time, it was like, ah, it was like, it was, what are you talking about Besides, there were parties, you know, and things. So <laughs> then Vietnam War, and everybody was getting drafted left and right. So I didn't want to go directly to death. So I thought I would join the Navy, but all I could get was four years. Mm. So that's where I learned how to deal with people and get situations done and and, and take, take, take ownership of the situation and get it done. So... You know, it might be painting, and you know, so it's an eight-hour paint job that you get done in two hours. And the guy says, "You're done already? Man, take your day off." You know, so you learn, you learn. Right. So let's talk just a little bit about again a couple of the things that you're involved in now. And I want to ask you a question. I want to see if you can help me define something about you. So photography has been uh, your wheelhouse for a very long time. Yap Studios now, you have the auto parts, you got Secrets of Speed Society. So I hear multiple different things that you're involved in. If someone said, hey, Charlie, what are you? What would you say? Would you say, I'm a photographer, like that's really what I am. I may not do it like I used to, maybe this is my other thing and this is my what I'm part of now, but at my core, this is really who I am. What would you say to that? outside of family and I'm a father and a husband, but from a business perspective. There's, there's one word, there's no one word because, and this is hard, even when you uh, apply for a loan, no matter what you are, what, what do you do? <laughs> That's right. Or even the government, when they when they give you a survey, you know, what, what, what give me your job so we can figure the number out that, you know, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. And primarily in manufacturing and publishing now, I hung my cameras up. They are down in the basement. They're all packed away. All my samples, all my photographs, everything is packed away, and we haven't looked at them for over 12 years. Mm. When it comes to family pictures, I don't take pictures anymore. <laughs> Not even on an iPhone? I'll wake up in the morning, see the sun falling through the trees, and I'll see light patterns that are like, this is dynamite. I'll take my camera, and I'll take and my phone, I'll take a picture. I've traveled all over. I've shot United Airlines. I've taken pictures of all of Hawaii for them. I've been 
all through Mexico with um, Hyatt, um, photographing their hotels all through down to Cancun, to Acapulco, and all over. It, it it's all fun and it's all great memories. But and I miss, I really do miss the people. The people are energetic. They are fun. They take a little bit of chances. Here in Claremont County, not so much. Mm. We're alone. We have some friends and we get together, but COVID's kind of messed it all up. We're working on getting that back together. This was party central for years. <laughs> I mean, you know, wall to wall people. Yeah. I should tell you about our little dickel parties up there. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, I, I'm an entrepreneur, and uh, and it is manufacturing of the parts, and it is uh, publishing of the magazine. Yeah, and at this point, uh, with as far as the parts go, you have, I've heard that you have patents on many different parts, is that correct? I can't answer that question because it might incriminate me. Fair enough, I'm but you have... Just... <laughs> I was just moving on, man. <laughs> Everything I do is uh, basically only copyrighted. I do not have any, I do not hold any patents, but I hold a trademark on the name of the magazine. Gotcha. Okay. So a lot of people would get patents. Yeah. But the moment you get a patent, everybody can duplicate it. All you have to do is change a screw. So right. It's better just keep your mouth shut and just move forward. And if somebody wants to steal it, and people have, there's mm -hmm. been some things that are goofy. Just, you know, they're dirtbags. Just forget them. What do they say? Imitation is the yeah. most sincere form of flattery, right? right? Yeah. We'll just go with that. We'll just go with that. Yeah. Otherwise, we just, we'll shoot them. You know? <laughs> this is Claremont County. You can own a gun here, you know. Hey, there's, I think we heard shots literally uh, right before the this podcast. <laughs> it was either shots Isn't or Joe over there was doing something. I don't know what he was doing. Oh, man. So, okay, let's talk about the publication, um, Secrets of Speed, because this is something to me that I think is super cool. And I was telling you when we started, when we were out in your garage, um, uh, if anybody's out there listening and there are people that are customers or members of yours and they're listening to me, they're going to go, ah, this guy's not a car guy. This guy, he's not a gearhead. And they're going to know. And I wanted to know from you real quick. Can you tell a gearhead just from the way that they look or the way they talk? Or do gearheads just live among us everywhere, unbeknownst to the regular population? They're sneaky bastards. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but don't they inherently keep a, a certain amount of grease under the fingernails uh, at all times? If you can get a look at the hands, are you going to be able to tell a, a gearhead from another person? Uh, greasy fingernails are a giveaway, but... You know, it's hard to go to church on Sunday with greasy hands, <laughs> but you look around, you see a few, you know. Especially if you're passing the awful <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, um, no, I'm not, I, this is hard for me to, 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 to clarify because I don't want to, I don't want, I want everybody to think well of me, but I don't, uh, I don't consider myself a card. Now, that is an odd thing to say because of what I do. Yeah, there's people that already turned the podcast off. They're just but like, I, okay, I'm out. But but let me explain. <laughs> the guy comes in and says, oh, that car of yours, playing? we get a small block Chevy in there, we just go like a man out of hell. That's not what I want to do. And I, and I don't, I, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I, I'm happy with what I've got there. 
And another guy will come in and say, well, where's your other cars? What do you mean other cars? Well, how could you have one car better than all the, that's the best one. I couldn't make two and then have one be better than, no, it's just one. I just, I, I like my one. I keep it well cared for. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I go to a car show. Donna doesn't care for car shows. So that I don't get to go as, to as many as I want because we tend to do things as a team. And that's kind of our rule. But when I go to a car show, I see a cool paint job. I, I can tell a good paint job and I can tell a, a flashy engine. But they don't do anything for me unless they're creative mm. uh when you when you get a car from the factory yeah they go to car shows you see a brand new corvette huh well that's a cool car and you paid a lot of money for it but uh and so i'm looking for I, i'm not a great fan of rat rugs but i am a great fan of their creativity mm. they put stuff together that is amazing it's just how'd you do that you know I think mine is kind of that way, but it's polished. Right. So I have as many little tricky gizmos over there. I could spend a day telling you all about that stuff. And so could they on their rat rock. But the guy who's got the 57 Chevy, you know, he spends his weekends kind of cleaning the mud off the gas tank and putting some something from Eastwood on there to make it look better. And I, I know there are degrees in all of this. But I, I just, I really enjoy the creative guys that really do things. And um, that's where my heart is, really, in, when it comes to cars. Right. And I see, like, I mean, just even talking to you and, and looking through the magazine, um, I see that creativity come out in the articles. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I read uh, somewhere, um, I'm trying to find the note on it, but uh, you said that your your magazine it has the most articles and pictures and things per square inch of any Ford magazine that's out there ever, uh, ever right? Over the last 30 years, you, you guys... You go pick up something off the newsstand or something that you get a subscription to. Yeah. Mine is 52 pages of nothing but articles, and it's got four pages of ads. Yeah. And I just really don't want any more ads because it <laughs> takes up part, takes up the magazine. We don't make any money off the ads. You know, we don't charge a lot for an ad and we get it and it's nice to have, but it's just like a, it's like beer money. It's just a little thing on the side, you know? So they get these other magazines uh, and they're not 52 pages. Right. These are, excuse me for taking up air time here. Oh, that's okay. You want that light on? Sure. Thank you. Ooh, we're cooking with gas now. If this was uh, a video podcast, all of a sudden. Yeah, sex. It'd be, yeah. it'd be looking real nice. This is an 80 pager. And you look at, you just look at the ads right. that they have in here. And when you get, when you get down, <laughs> you get down to like here. This is still club news, which I consider advertising. You get down to here, and it's page 42, and they are still doing just lists of things and car shows. And they get here, and this is when they first start talking about cars, and it's page 39. <laughs> so we are solid. Informa information, photos, art, and stuff like that. And I I'm, I'm consider myself an artist. 
photographically, but I love the art that you uh, hear. Yep. So I spent a lot of time looking for these, and I also give the artist as much credit as I can. You'll see that inside the front cover. Right. So I research them. I try to find out who they are. For people that don't know, uh, so it's Secrets of uh, Speed Society. It's a it's a membership organization, and I read on the website, uh, and I love this, and I wanted to just get a you know get some time with you to talk about it. Uh, Secrets of Speed Society. Um, you guys are interested in saving the history of Ford Speed and Sport as it was in the old days, primarily model A, B, and T, and uh, the years are 09 to uh, 34. So that's right off of your website. And there's a the magazine we're talking about is uh, is sent out quarterly, right? Right. How often, I mean, not how often, but how many of these get sent out just approximately and to where? Do these go all over the world? All over the world. They, uh, membership goes... Literally, it fluctuates a little bit, but literally, uh, Sweden, Norway, uh, Brussels, uh, Holland, England, Ireland, France, Switzerland, Italy, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. We used to have some a museum in Brazil that got it, but I have we haven't heard from them for a while. Um, South Africa, every once in a while, someone jumps in. One of the things about uh, Ford was that they had either complete factories or assembly factories in almost almost every major country in the world. Chile, Argentina, Ecuador, uh, Japan, China, just everywhere. So today, when we call speed and sport, talk about that for a second. The Model A Ford came off the factory line, and it was a beautiful, beautiful car. It had color. It wasn't black unless you wanted black. It had colored wheels. It had a 40-horsepower engine, which was more than anything, and it would cruise all day at 45 miles an hour, 50 if you wanted to push it. It was capable of 60, mm. but there weren't any highways. There was all dirt roads and mud, and you can't go 60 miles an hour up Main Street. So today we do. And we even try to go 70 miles an hour. And with the equipment that we manufacture, high compression heads, uh, better breathing, larger valves, all the stuff that we manufacture or sell can be put into these engines. And you can go 70 miles an hour and you can do it all day long. And uh, some of the stuff I make is really one little tiny thing we made. Um, I was driving the speedster up and down Route 52 along the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. And Don will get going. And that's a 55, you know, maybe 60. We were just hauling, just having a great time. We pull into a McDonald's down on a run in some place. This guy comes over and says, hey, your car? You know, and I think he's going to compliment me and everything. He says, something happened under your car just a great big around <laughs> no they go out there and look and it's a big wad of grease right from the back end of the engine and i'm going oh no i've blown some kind of a seal or something but i got home and i started digging into it and what had happened was that somehow pressure air pressure got into the universal joint cup which is a sealed thing on these model is it got in there somehow, and it built the pressure, and it pooped this 
stuff right on the ground. <laughs> and and I how, why, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm laying in bed at night. I'm thinking, this is a problem. We gotta solve this thing. Well, how do you get pressure in there? Well, the the differential spins pretty hot. It gets very hot on, on a car, especially the, you know, these older ones, which were designed for 45 miles an hour. Right, yeah. And I go, okay. Now there's seals that hold the, the grease in on each axle. And there's a seal down at the other end by the U-joint. Well, what was happening was that the oil was being flung, got into what we call the pitman gear, or the pinion gear, and it got through there and went down the shaft and started to collect in the back end of this port tube. And then when the pressure got really high, it started pushing that into the cup with the greases on on the universal joint. And at some point, it just let loose. <laughs> and so I got the, you know, so I did some research. All modern cars from like 1940, maybe 38, had differential vents ah. to let the pressure out and then bring it back in and when it cooled off. Model A's never had that. Model T's never had. Model B's never had that. Early Ford V8's never had that. Well, Charlie hit the drawing board on his napkin. I got a whole stack of napkins over there. <laughs> I drew my thing and I sent it off to my machine shop. This is my best guy. He's up in uh, outside of Chicago. There's guys down here too, but you just have these things. He, write, he sends back, oh, I make, oh, I'll make this for, you know, seven bucks. I said, great. And I got on the horn to McMaster car and I said, I need the little filter thing for this, you know. Oh, you can have this for three fifty. I ah, it's great. We're, we're, you know, we're talking 12 maybe. Yeah, okay. Little shipping in there and all that kind of stuff. So I sell them for twenty nine ninety five, and I've been selling them all over the world. And I just made that part last year. This is great. You know, oh, throw, throw one of those in the box. You know, okay. So the people that uh, they okay. have your sorry, no, no, no that's good. No, I, I'm curious because uh, the the people that get your magazine, we, you talking about all over the world, right? Are these also are these people that are just interested in the you know the types of cars that we're talking about, the Model A's, Model B's, yeah. Model T's, or are these yeah. also people that own their own vehicles yeah. and are interested in doing what you did with your car and and modifying it or uh, these. The, the ones that have the cars that roll off the assembly line and they do their best to keep them restored, yeah. refer to those as purists. And that is not a derogatory term. It's just basically, they're purists. They want, they, they're going to replace the generator. They want to make sure it's exactly like it came off the factory line. They're being pure about it. Right. We are not. We right. are not. We are the epitome of not. We are what you might call today hot rodders. But back in those days, there was no such thing. So our members are collectors of speed equipment. They, some of them literally keep them under their beds because they don't want them stolen. Really? I have guys that have dual overhead cam PAL engines that have been made into coffee tables with glass tops so you can look <laughs> at the engine. I mean, it's just anything you can think of. I got guys hanging speedster bodies from the rafters of their barn. It's just, so we're all about speed racing, hill climbs, dragging, uh, all that kind of stuff. More of it was done today or since the 50s than it was done back then. Back then it was technically dirt track racing. Mm. And uh, uh, 
roadster racing is what it turned out to be in the 30s. You would take the fenders off your roadster, pump up your engine, and take it on a dirt track. Go and wrote, and so there'd be a whole fleet of these guys going around trying to kill each other, and they did often. Yeah. And then in, in the 20s, it was bodies that were made with boat tails and stuff like that, and, and all hopped up with parts that you could buy from different suppliers. Um, we started the club in 1991, and this is our uh, 31st year, 30, no, 32nd year uh, in July. 32 years and um i think we're responsible for the resurgence of the speedster industry because it you start to see in the 90s people starting to build these speedster cars yeah and there's no direct relationship other than myself or this this club and the availability of speed parts coming out of me and now other it's so easy to make things today they can print them you know so it's almost like it's time to get out of it because it's not being fun anymore because other people can do what you worked so hard on in, in minutes, you know, so that's like, uh, but, um, and I'm, I'm 74 and maybe I should just kind of, you know, go down to the beach and smoke cigars or something. <laughs> you can smoke cigars in your backyard <laughs> if you want to. No, Donna's here. <laughs> so, so many questions. The first question I have um, about this is, so you start this and you've been doing it for 31 years. There's no internet really back then, no internet at all. <laughs> Our mean, first computer I got in 1992. So how do you, how did you advertise it? I mean, how did you get it to the point where people knew about it? Was it all we, word of mouth? We advertised in these magazines. Okay. You know, the purest magazines. Yep. And uh, how it started was, uh, I had a speedster that I built. I built it, like I said, a loner. I did it all by myself. It was These were ideas that I had seen. I saw this in an old ad. I saw this in a magazine. I put them all together and I built a speedster. And it was for you. It was, it was just something you were interested for me, in. Just for me. Yeah. Um, I built it from a Model A. Yeah. But it was a what we call a bustle tail. It had a tire in the back and then it had a cockpit and it had a secondary cockpit. Very unusual. It looked like, like an airplane body that had been worked over and it had my overhead equipment on all that stuff and that was finished about 1980 i think it was 83 and i i wrote an article and took pictures and sent it into one of these purist magazines and they ran a whole page story on it i got mail this is before email and it, i got mail from california texas I, norway sweden all they all got the you know we we have one too and <laughs> we didn't awesome. know anybody else was doing this mm. you know so i wrote them all back i said let's let's do a little newsletter we'll just uh you know we'll, we'll get to know each other and you want to buy sell or learn something or show us something that you did or found and it grew from uh, 12 pages to 52 and i've held it at 52 since 1994 that's awesome Tell me a little bit about the people that are uh, interested in, in this sort of thing. Do you find that it's people from just all over the spectrum in terms of ages? Um, are there a lot of young people that are, you know, getting into this or is it, um, you know, mostly people let's, that are, that are older? Let's break it down into then and now. Beautiful. Uh, origi originally, 
Well, let's go all the way back. Originally, it was racers. Yeah. Spending money to win. People in the Depression could make $300,000 a year in racing revenue from a $50 win, a $1,000 win, all summer long for the racing season. And then they would move south and go to Texas and work their way down to Florida so they could race all year long. Wow. And they could really make that kind of money. So that was kind of interesting. And that's why it really was so popular because people actually could make money. Plus, it was dangerous and, and crowds loved to see people thrown out of cars and killed. I don't know what it was. It's just awful when you look at the old footage. It's like it's like racing death porn. It's just oh, it's, <laughs> it's like horrible. A, like gladiators or something oh, almost in an arena, like, right? Here goes another one. I <laughs> hope he's okay. <laughs> but that was that. Um, who who are we? The we're we have dentists, we have doctors, we have uh, teachers, college professors. We have guys that own tire shops and trucking companies. Real, real estate people. Um, the spectrum is completely across the board. I, I have a couple guys that have their own museums with 50, 60 cars in them uh, and more. And, you know, they're always looking for, but they kind of specialize in this era and they like the speedy stuff. And they, I've had people loan me parts so that I could use them as models to get something on, you know. Uh, today, something has happened. There is an interesting thing that has happened and it is kind of wonderful and but it's unusual because of its scope the age level was getting grayer and grayer and grayer along came two guys from uh, i think oxnard or something california or someplace down there and they got this idea let's race these old cars you gotta have an old car you gotta have it approved you can't have any modern you can't have a small block Chevy in there. It's got to be a banger. We call these engines four bangers. Yep. It's got to be a banger. Uh, and they got to wear the right kind of clothes. You know, they got to wear the <laughs> jumpsuit. And they got to have the, the leather helmet. You the, goggles. the goggles. You got to have, have all this stuff. <laughs> yep. And if you bring a lady friend with it, she's got to be dressed like the era. Swooped hair. We're talking, the... we're talking you know, they're usually talking 50 back. Yeah. So... Flappers, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, it may be a little. Yeah. yeah, it's just but just old, you know. You know, right? You know, a lot of big hair and all that kind of stuff. Usually a lot of boobs too, but I don't know where that. You know. But uh, these guys went to uh, New Jersey. I, I don't know what the connection was, but New Jersey has this great sand beach that at low tide it's really, really big beach, and it stays that way for most of the day. So they may, and there's a, and there's a. Uh, Carnival, uh, like Coney Island kind of was, you know, just a small one over here yeah. for, for the beach people. And they got permission from the village to have a, a test to see how this would work. They, they expected like 50 racers. They had thousands. People that wanted to come. People signed up left and right. People showed up without tickets, without, you know, the campgrounds were crashed. It was, it was like <laughs> the village is going... On one hand, this is horrible. On the other hand, if we control this, we got a gold mine. Yeah, right. So that is what has happened. It's called, basically, it's called beach racing. That one is called TROG, mm. the race of the gentleman. <laughs> and this is happening in England at Pendine Sands. And it's happening on the outback in Australia, back where it's just red mud flats like our salt flats. 
and it's happening in Australia, Australia New Zealand, and on there's California is not letting them do it. They it's an ecological problem with their beaches, and, and you know how Californians have a different mindset, but that's fine. So we all go to New Jersey, and oh, and down in Florida, the Daytona Beach. But what? Who are these people? They're their twenties and thirties. They got Grandpa's Model A because he died or he, they inherited. They took the fenders off and they called Charlie and got a dual downdraft manifold and they hit the beach. That's awesome. And they're out there having more fun, you know. Just and they, they are having fun. You see the smiles on these guys' faces. Look at this guy. Just, you, just look at his face. He's just. Oh, so this is from I one mean, of the beach races I mean, that here. Guy's, that guy's like sixty years old and he's just like. Look at where I am. Look what I'm doing. I'm having a ball. Yeah. <laughs> That's from truck. That is so cool. Yeah, and there's and people always... everywhere. Yeah, there's the uh, roller coaster in the background. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's just, uh, it has changed. And so now what we got is, that was so successful, or it still is successful. We have now not, we have hill climbs. We've always had hill climbs. So they find a hill and they run it. But these guys in California have found these hills with switchbacks. And now they have these mountain climbs. Oh, what a hoot! You know, yeah. and and that's real driving. That takes skill. You know, <laughs> you going straight down a thing is that just go fast, but here you got to drive. So there's lots of different things going. That is so cool. I, I remember I know we we talked a while back, and and you had mentioned you know some of the gray hair you know thing, people getting grayer and grayer and, and stuff like that. And um, I don't know. I think it's cool. Nobody in my family was ever really, uh, you know, car people. I, there's nobody that I know of. Like my grandfather wasn't into that. Um, so there's no, you know, old car to pass down and, and things like that. But uh, there there were, he was a woodworker and he had all these wood tools that he, that he used. And I remember passing on the wood tools when he passed away. I wasn't in, interested. And now that I'm older, yeah, I'd say, fun, yeah. my gosh, I wish, you know, I wish I would have had them. And I, I have a few things, but you know, if you had a, if you were a younger person and like you said, your father had a, had a car like that, that got passed down to you, how cool would it be to a get it and maybe restore it or uh, whatever, but then to actually take it out on the beach or somewhere and race it and do something and get it that makes action. you thrill. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's scary. Yeah, your hands are shaking. You don't know if you can do this right or anybody. And people are watching you. Yeah, and you hit the gas and you don't win. But my lord, you had fun. <laughs> I want to say one other thing. We've got to backtrack just a hair. You want to know why I do all of this? Be honest with you. It's called cash flow. When I was a photographer. We were inundated with these cycles of recession and, and, and downtime. And that just takes the wind out of your sock, you know. So when we started making the, the speed parts, that was steady. In fact, we noticed that we were selling more during the recession because people had more time on their hands mm -hmm. or wanted to do something to uplift themselves or give them something to do. So between the photographer, we got the cycle going, so they just stayed level. And it was wonderful. And the magazine and the parts, this is steady and the parts is cyclical because they, they collect them in the winter, mm -hmm. put them on the cars, and you don't hear from them all summer. Unless, <laughs> they, need a, unless they need a head gasket. <laughs> they blow something, they need your they yeah. need your help, right? Yeah. Have you uh, have you attended any of these events out in California or no. uh, any of these races? I have. How much of a celebrity would you be if you showed up? Be embarrassing. Embarrassing. I just wouldn't say hi to anybody, and then they go, "It's Charlie." Oh my gosh, that's Charlie. 
Yeah. And then another guy, can we come over to your house and just like drink beer and eat sausages <laughs> and talk about stuff? You know? <laughs> and I love it because, again, you said uh, at the beginning of this, you said you wouldn't really classify yourself as a car guy, right? Yeah. You're you're a guy that kind of. But I know how they work. Right. But only the bangers. I do not know the name of, the where of, of one single part on a Chevy small block. I just know it's an engine. I don't even know what the heads look like if you take them off. And I don't want to know. Because I have <laughs> too much right now on my plate. Right. I don't want to spread it any thinner. Right. And But, you know, you take Chris, the barber. He's, he's a people guy. And the people, you know, that's his... He's got this multiple facet thing going on him too. So I, I, you know, I envy that. I envy what you're doing, but I'm happy. You know, I, I can't ask for more. I don't deserve it. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. When I, uh, when I talked to Bill um, from uh, the episode two, he was talking about how, and that you kind of said it earlier, you know, there's, there's guys that they try to do everything right. And they, if you ask him, they say, well, what is it that you do the best, right? And in his business, he's in the wedding business and, you know, DJ's weddings and there are other companies out there that you he was talking about. It. You know what's expected. Right. It's like, okay. You know he, how to supply it. Right. It's like, okay, do you do this, this, and this, or do you just do this and you do it really well, right? And I, I think that's cool about, you know, what you're saying with just the fourth. Like, okay, I've got my lane. I know what it is and I do it really well and people know that they can come to me and they respect me. We were talking out in your garage and I, I love what you said about just how often the phones ring. And <laughs> you said it, it just rings off the hook from uh, Monday through Friday, right? And you take every one of those phone calls. Not on Friday. Not on Friday, sorry, or Monday through. Or weekends or holidays. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of holidays. Yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, there's Ash Tuesday. And, um, but I asked you, I said, you know, is, uh, do you find that the people that are calling, are these all customers of yours that you're taking those phone calls? Or some are. Are these just stuff. people? Some are just people. Yeah. And that's super cool that you're you know, willing to help that day. community. I said, do I have you on my list? He says, no, I've never bought anything from you, but, you know, I kind of keep my eye on what you've been doing. And I said, well, what are you up to? He says, I want to get one of your exhaust headers. So I got a couple left. How many do you want? Well, I'll take one. <laughs> so let me ask you a question just for, you know, part of this uh, podcast is really about helping, uh, you know, business owners that are, you know, either they're just starting out or they're, you know, they're doing it currently and they're trying to grow or trying to become more successful. Um, what would you say is uh, just some advice that you'd give it, that you'd be able to give to somebody that you've learned over the years? Uh, I, I have a philosophy and um, it's simple and it's probably too simple, but I just say do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if I make a product, I apply that. If someone calls me on the phone, I apply that. If somebody bothers me when I'm busy, I applaud. I just, you just have to do it. Donna says, you're so nice to them, but you're talking mean to me today. <laughs> well, no, I, I love her to death, but these people are the ones that, make a living for us right a couple more questions for you um 
We are we're already over an hour. I knew it was going to happen. You're going to But this it. has been marvelous. Now I'm not, I'm keeping every bit of it. Well, I got a joke to tell you too. Tell me the joke. No, no. <laughs> you, you got any me. more here? Anything important you want to talk about? I gotta I gotta ask you. Uh, <laughs> couple quick things i mean let's let's go quick hit here you don't quick. want to know anything about the red speedo dude uh was that the one that was hanging up on the door when it came in no <laughs> all right bring it on let's come up <laughs> no that was that was a church thing during during covid it was pretty funny i forget it <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, a couple quick things um and i've got more notes gosh i i need to come back because i've got plenty uh that i'd love to get into with you um what's this black thing hanging here uh that's the microphone microphone i believe so golden quill awards how many of those have you won how how and how are how important are those to you i saw them on the website so i wanted to ask they're uh put out by a magazine called old car weekly mm -hmm. and the editor there's two editors and they review all these magazines and they every year they give out an award for the best design the best copy the best overall stuff. We've won almost every top award they've had for over 21 years. That's awesome. But there's other things that are probably more prestigious. And again, I have no desire to go and dig that up. There are people that want trophies all over the place. I don't even put the quills on the wall. I, you know, they're nice to have. It's nice to have the appreciation. But the appreciation for me is all those phone calls. You led me right where I was hoping you were going to lead me. The question on my second page is, how closely do you, uh, how closely connected do you feel to each of your members? And I would guess probably pretty closely connected. Very close. I would call every single one of them a friend of some sort. That's awesome. And I'll tell you, I don't think we've ever had a check bounce from any one of those guys in all these years. After all the car parts they buy all car over the place. and dues, no bad <laughs> checks, no bad credit cards. You know, there's... It's just a neat group of people. Yeah. Do you find, uh, you brought it up earlier, do you find that there's any uh, tension between what you do in this community versus the purists? Yes. See, and the reason I ask is I, your neighbor, Joe, uh, as uh, some people know, and maybe eventually I'll get a chance to talk to him, he took a Prius engine and he put it inside. A, you're going to have to help me with the year of the truck it was. 48. 48 truck. And I know that he got published in a magazine uh, your, it was in your magazine and there are people uh, in certain places that said take that guy's toolbox away well they say the same thing about my space <laughs> it's a Volkswagen how dare you it's a Volkswagen body and the rest of the rest of it's all handmade or model it but how could you do that you know right so you can just see that the the hairs rise on people's necks when you drive it into a Volkswagen show. Right, and right. And go to a Model A. I went to a Model A thing. Sir, you can't come in here. This no hot rods allowed. <laughs> and then one guy says, that's Charlie Yap with his cabin spacer. Oh, oh he's okay. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> they want to they get in good with you. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. It's just, they, just, I think it's just a level of respect is all. Who came up with the line? Keep your faces away from the fan blades. Is that a you line in your magazine? No, no. It's more like uh, they should have hit the fan kind of thing at my place. <laughs> now you have to edit that out. Do you beep things? Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, two more questions, and then uh, and no, then we'll call it quits for that. Came from. But I need did that you, joke too. Did you read that? Yeah, it's in your it's in your publication. It's in. Uh, hold on, uh, where is it at? I think it's at the back. No, maybe it's in the front. 
Uh, disclaimer, information contained in this publication may be harmful to your health or those around you. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the editor. Nice way to cover your back. I like that. Readers uh, use educational uh, information solely at their own risk. Install new seatbelts. Keep faces away from the fan blades. The Model A fan blades were made like old propellers, mm. and they were made in two pieces. Uh, you had two blades, but two sides and welded. And at the hub, where the, all the tension is, they crack. And I, we all know in the hobby, they go right through the hoods. Mm. They bounce around and go through radiators. And you just don't want to have an engine running with your face down there admiring a carburetor when that thing is spinning. Fair enough. And it's a legal thing that keeps the lawyers off my butt. I like that. All right. Uh, two more questions. Number one, any chance that they bring back the ability to cook a hot dog by connecting uh, this hot dog maker to me. <laughs> Thank God for you, Charlie, because uh, this is your magazine is the first auto magazine I've ever read in my life. And thank God I did too, because in the back, there's a, you have to explain it. I don't even know what the apparatus is, but the advertisement says you can cook multiple hot dogs in the period of about four minutes by hooking this. It looks like a tube. Imagine this. It's like, it's like, <laughs> is that like a, a joke? Tube. No, it's, it's, it's back, back in the, back in the forties and the thirties, people were inventing things left and right. I mean, just left and right. And this guy, you can just see him driving down the road. He's got a brand new Hudson or whatever, and it's got a cigarette lighter. You push it in, it pops out, it's glowing. You start, you light your cigar, and he says, "Wait a sec, I could, I could cook a hot dog this way. That looks like a grill. How do I do that?" So he's invented this tube with a with a sliding uh, shelf that comes out. So you put the hot dogs in there, the little. If you look at it close, and you slide it in, you close the lid, and you hit the switch, and these burners are going. Now your battery's shot. You right, know, yeah, you, yeah, that it's is over. It's gone. <laughs> but he pulls it out. He's got three or four hot dogs, and he says, there's something else you can cook. I don't know, hamburgers on the side. Yeah. We we run a section every once in a while. Like, oh no, <laughs> what? <laughs> have you ever seen one of these in the wild, though? No, You've never, never have. seen one. Would oh, be worth thousands of dollars? They would. Oh, they? it would be just a hoot. <laughs> I thought I said, I gotta ask Charlie about this because if you if if you had said, oh, absolutely, I see them all over the place, and it's my preferred way of eating a hot dog. Well, I could have been serious. You could have had to be. Yeah, I mean, you could have pulled your leg a little bit. You know? I'd have believed you. I would have. All right. Finally, uh, what is what is the future for you? And I know you alluded just a little bit, and I I know you were kind of joking to uh, you know maybe at some point you hang it up and you go hanging on the beach and uh, smoke the cigars. But I, I I'm leaning towards the beach cigar thing myself. Don and I would just like to we like the water. And yeah, is that realistic though, or you you don't seem like a guy that's ready to rest anytime I, soon? I'll, I'll do this until I lose my mind. But. I bet. And I am starting to lose it. So, you know, <laughs> you've got a lot I, of people I, out there. We though. are trying to, we're trying to cut back on the, on the, the hard, expensive stuff that casts like cylinder heads and stuff that are multifaceted projects. Right. And expensive. You know, you sell a cylinder head. We sell a cylinder head for $850. You can get a pair of them for $400 for a ship. So, I mean, there's a big price difference. So when right. people get building our, their four banger up for, for performance, you're getting close to 10 grand before you've got an engine done and you can build a Ford flathead for less than that and a modern engine for less than that. 
So it's when you see these things at car shows, you should stop a moment and take a look because there's a lot to appreciate there. Not only workmanship, but the cost involved to get it to that point. It is not a, a small undertaking. Do you believe that these cars, when they undergo all of these different treatments and all these things, do you believe that they should be looked at or do you believe that they should be driven well, they should and be driven, driven hard. Driven hard. And we're driving that one until the engine blows up. <laughs> you didn't. I didn't point out the crate that was sitting there. Did you see that crate sitting mm -mm. out in front no. of that? That's a brand new, brand new model of the engine. It's called the Burt's Block. This guy's been trying to make it for 13, 14 years, and he finally succeeded. He had to go to China to get it done. It is the spitting image and down to the rivet marks, exactly like a Model A, except the insides are like a modern Mitsubishi. Oh, that's cool. It has completely balanced crankshafts like that one doesn't have. It's got large valves. It's got modern pistons. It's got all this stuff. It should be, it should probably be easily drivable at 200 horsepower. Oh my gosh. So it'll, it, but it's sitting there. I'm afraid to open. I, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and all the other guys, you know, they open it and they got theirs. I'm driving mine all right. You do already? Oh, my, I haven't even opened mine. Charlie, what are you crazy? Yeah. The tires on those, uh, those old Model A's and stuff, they're so small, though. I, it, Four is, and a half inches by 21. Is there any worry going at speeds that are, you know, more that uh, more than what it was originally intended for that the... Uh, the larger they go, the more centrifugal force there is on the whole thing. Um the larger your wheel, the faster you can go with a smaller engine. Uh, these wheels are um, dynamically balanced with dynabeads. Dynabeads are um, like the head of a pin size, perfectly round ceramic ball bearing, really tiny. And they are put inside the inner tube, about uh, roughly 16 ounces, 12 ounces. And they're like sand, if you will. And as the car rolls, they start to, centrifugal force, they start to coat the inside of the, of the inner tube. And they're heavy at the off-balance place. Mm. So the faster you go, the more balanced your tire is at speed. So when you're driving at 70 miles an hour, you're even more balanced than you were when you're 20 miles an hour. So it improves everything. And the, the, the drive and the handling is, is wonderful. Uh, I just bought a set of 600 wide, instead of 450 uh, by 21s to put on. And they are actually an inch and a half taller than the ones I have on there, which creates some bit problems with my rear fenders, which sounds like a little body work coming up. But yeah, it's gotta have something to do. You'll, you'll get there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Man, this is super cool. Is there anything I missed? No, but I'll tell you that joke. <laughs> yes. But, you know. Every time I tell a joke, I mess it up. It's not really a joke. The guy drove his speedster in, and it was a cowboy. He drove it in to the, to the bar, parked by the bar where they normally wrap up the horses and stuff. And he had spurs on and everything. And he got out and walks to the door and places just as lonely as you can possibly think of. I mean, it's like the bartender just polishing the glasses. He walks up to the bar and says, ah, I need a beer. Bartender says, You got one. He goes and he pulls this big, tall, cold beer. Table, a little slot falls down on the counter. Cowboy says, Where can I sit? He says, It's empty. He goes, Pick one. He says, I'll go over there. He goes and sits down in the corner. 
takes a sip of his beer and the, bar, and the bartender walks over and he's got a little bowl of peanuts, you know, a little bowl of uh, pretzels. And he says, you know, enjoy yourself. He said, I don't expect anybody to be here for another couple hours, you know, but I'm glad you're here. Goes behind the bar, takes a sip, and he hears this little voice, just a little tiny voice, like, I like your spurs. And he looks around. And there's nobody there, you know. He looks at the bartender, and he's got his back to him. He's doing something over by the cash register, and he takes another sip, and he hears his little voice again. You got really cute hat. And he doesn't know if it's a girl or if it's a guy. He can't tell. He looks around. He doesn't see anything. Takes another real quick, and he gulps it down. And I like the way you drink your beer. And he turns around, and he says to the bartender, what? And the devil is going on over here. And he, he says, sir, don't get upset. It, it, it's okay. It, it's the complimentary peanuts. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and with that, we that... sign off. We wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy oh, New Year. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, that is so good. Uh, hey, before we go, I got a couple of things I got to mention. And but before I do that, uh, where can we find you, uh, Charlie? Give us your uh, best contact information. How can people get in touch with you? Um, we are at www.secretsofspeed.com. Secrets is plural. And you'll find our website there and you'll find contact information there if you want to get directly to me by telephone or by email. I'm always glad to take your emails and your phones if you if you need to. That's fine. I'll talk to you, but email is always available 24/7. Awesome, Donna. Do you have anything you want to say back? <laughs> God bless you, Donna. <laughs> I know this is a uh, it's not on video, but uh, she came in and and she's such a sweetie. So she's gonna kid me all night. That's good. Oh, you think you're such a celebrity? Oh yeah, <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> All right. Hey, real quick, before we go, I got a couple of things I got to just sign off with. And uh, again, I just want to say a big thank you to Charlie uh, for being on uh, this podcast. And I even have this written, Donna. I said, and for your lovely wife, Donna, for sharing you with us for the evening in your lovely home. And uh, also want to say thanks to everybody that's listening. Um, if you'd like to support the show, there are several ways to do so. You can visit the uh official distributing platform it's anchor.fm slash space trader it's s-p-a-c-e-t-r-a-d-r there's a support button there also uh, if you want to subscribe and like it that always helps you can find it uh, on spotify anchor google apple just about anywhere you want to go and that would be really helpful too and uh, lastly before we sign off if you're a business owner or you're an aspiring business owner and you would like to be a guest on the show, I would love to talk to you and get you on the schedule. And so if you'd like to do that, you can visit us uh, on Facebook or Twitter at Space Trader or on the website and reach out to me. He's and, a good uh, guy too. You can trust him. Go ahead and, <laughs> go ahead and call him. <laughs> we only fought one time and we're about to arm wrestle. So, <laughs> hey, thanks again, everybody for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, you guys be inspired. Have a great week. <laughs>